0: welcome to the fearless health podcast with host dr Anne marie barter dr barter is on a mission to help people achieve their health and wellness goals and help men and women live their best lives fearlessly dr barter is the founder of alternative family medicine and chiropractic in denver and longmont colorado Thank for joining us. I'm your host, Dr. Anne-Marie Barter, and we're here at Fearless Health Podcast, and I'm very excited today. I have a very special guest. Her name is Dr. Julia Greenspan, and she runs a naturopathic clinic in New Hampshire called Greenhouse Naturopathic Medicine, and she's also written a book about Lyme disease, which sounds like it's been the main specialty in practice. So Thank you so much for joining us Dr. Greenspan. We're so excited to have you here today. Thank you so much. Well, I am very very curious on it sounds like you primarily treat Lyme disease in your practice and I'm I'm curious number 1 on how you got into naturopathic medicine.
1: Ah, well, originally I started off being a social worker. Um, and so I, I I used to live in Portland, Oregon before moving to New Hampshire. And I was gonna be a social worker and get my advanced degree in that. And then I just realized that wasn't the path for me. And I realized I had all these books on my shelves on natural medicine that I was reading for fun. And I happened to grow up in about 15 minutes from one of the oldest schools in the country for naturopathic, uh, you know, to uh, go to school in order to earn a naturopathic doctorate. Um, and so it's a four-year postgraduate graduate program and so I did my undergrad in psychology did some pre-med work and in 2002 I entered I entered a
0: university for to get my naturopathic doctorate. Wonderful and what inspired you to go into naturopathic medicine and I'm assuming you went to NCMIC or um, to the school up in Portland Oregon what's the name of that one?
1: Yeah. It's the National University of Natural Medicine. It used to be the the National College of Naturopathic Medicine when I was in school. So I still have to adjust to the fact that it changed its name. (laughs) But I was the the 50th graduating class in 2006. So it's been around for quite a while. Yeah. So what got me into natural medicine? um, I come from a background. My father is a pharmacist. He's a retired pharmacist. My my grandmother was a pharmacist. My great-grandfather was a pharmacist. And I worked in pharmacy um, early on uh, in college. And I just knew that it, it, I knew I loved medicine, but I knew that that, that path was not right for me, um, the conventional medical route. Um, it just never quite felt right. And so natural medicine just felt more uh, I felt more of a connection, more of an inspiration from it, and more hopeful with what it offered. And also, I love in naturopathic medicine that it can fit into so many different. Uh, I can I can weave in so many different modalities into one. I mean, we're even taught how to do adjustments um, and 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 um, provide chiropractic care. Um, so uh, you know, the, and we we can prescribe, we can um, do all sorts of physical medicine and and lab work. And we're taught, um, you know, we have four years of medical school um, plus residency, and you know, so we're taught the basic medical sciences. Exactly kind of how you would expect a traditional medical school to go, but also focusing in on herbs, homeostasis, homeopathy, exercise you know clinical nutrition um specialties. Uh when I was in school, I primarily wanted to do uh environmental medicine. So uh what I originally intended to do was uh you know specialize in IV therapy and chelation and um finding ways of getting toxins out of people so that their bodies would work better, which actually has worked really to my advantage um when you know moving to a Lyme endemic area um not realizing how much of an epidemic it was when I moved here that, you know, a big piece of treatment for chronic Lyme disease is, is really, you know, helping people to detoxify and clear out their body. So that all that training, um, went to use, <laughs> just not in what I expected. <laughs> That's awesome.
0: So, yeah. That's amazing. So in, in, it sounds like Lyme found you, you didn't really find Lyme. Exactly. It started showing up. Um, one of my first
1: patients was a pharmacist who couldn't go to work. Uh, he couldn't even, I, at the time I had a small office that was up a flight of stairs. I had to move eventually because my patient population couldn't go upstairs. Um, and, uh, and so now I'm somewhere that's accessible to individuals that have all sorts of um, limitations. Um, but he, I, I, at the time I just, you know, I, um, I just moved here. I grew up, again, grew up in Portland, Oregon. Um, we don't have ticks and and have concern about Lyme disease like we do here, like here in New Hampshire. And so I told him to go to his PCP to get treated. And, uh, he came back and said that his PCP wouldn't treat him, that he didn't have Lyme even though his test said it was positive. Um, And so I, you know, at the time I was not too um, keen on prescribing antibiotics. Uh, It wasn't my comfort zone. Now I do more than I ever thought I would. Um, I actually went into natural medicine to get away from prescribing medication, (laughs) kind of a, you know, rebelling against the family path there. But the... um, you know, and here because there's so few doctors that treat tick borne disease, once you start doing it, um, people start to kind of come because they're just, there's so many individuals that are getting sick. And because of the political climate right now with the infection itself,
0: um, it's quite difficult to find doctors that will treat. So, wow. And what do you mean the, the political climate and finding doctors that will treat?
1: So there are a lot of limitations set by the Centers for Disease Control um, in regards to Lyme that are quite restrictive. And um, a lot of opinions about what Lyme looks like, what it should look like, um, it kind of gets placed in a box with very rigid walls um, that, you know, a, a, a tick has to be attached for a certain amount of time um, or you can't catch Lyme, which um, I, don't, I don't agree with. Uh, medications sometimes should only be like one or two capsules if you have a brand new bite. Um, of, you know, that all you need is one or two caps of doxycycline, um, which I don't agree with, Um, or patients will be given like maybe more of a, uh, like if they come in either with a tick bite or a positive test, they'll be given two to three weeks of a medication and start to get better. But then as soon as the medication stops, all the symptoms come back. And a lot of times they're told, well, we already treated you. So now you have another problem. We need to get you, um, you know, sent to a rheumatologist or an endocrinologist or um, some other specialty because it can't be Lyme anymore. Um, but time and time again, when people come to my office and I, and I treat them, I test them, they still have a positive test. Um, and I treat them, they get better. So, uh, it's, it's just, um, it's, it's sort of a belief about what, what Lyme really is. Um, and beliefs around that when Lyme really just is a disease, and it really isn't about a belief. It's about what's going on. You know, it's about the observed data, um, the subjective data of the the patient, their symptoms that they're experiencing, um, objective data, things we can see on labs, which isn't always easy with Lyme. But uh, oh another tick-borne diseases, uh, labs are are quite difficult to uh, you know to have that work out perfectly all the time. But when you live somewhere like here, where you know you literally We'll walk out to just go get your mail and you could, you know, find ticks while crawling on you. It's much different than, you know, people who occasionally go out and go camping. I mean, this is a, a, a real big problem here. People just literally just living in their homes and, um, being infected, um, with minimal, you know, minimal exposure to outside, not even being like super rugged or outdoors people. They just are just going to taking their dog for a walk, (laughs) you know? So, um, you know, compared to the increased exposure if somebody's really rugged and outdoors all the time and camping and out in the elements, or if their work, um, has them out in the elements all the time, like a landscaper, for instance, um, so anyway, I I I probably got a little off topic there, but I'll oh, <laughs> I'll, I'll, I'll rein it in a little bit.
0: <laughs> so really and when these patients are presenting into your office that have been maybe lightly treated for Lyme, like a little bit, or um not really at all, somebody's not saying that they have Lyme. How are these patients presenting? Because It doesn't sound like they are necessarily presenting with the quote unquote bullseye rash, how we've been used to identify Lyme from a presenting factor.
1: Yeah, I have rarely seen um, bullseye rashes in my, in my practice compared to the amount of people I see sick with Lyme. And a majority of the people that I treat have no idea that a tick even attached at all. Um, I'm I'm not just a doctor who treats Lyme, but I'm also a, a patient. Um, I had tick-borne disease. Um, it's been about six years since I've treated, but it took me two years to recover from Lyme disease and from another co-infection called Babesia and I've never pulled a tick out of my skin in my life and I've never had a ring. Um, and I was treating Lyme disease before I found out I had it. Um, so I was well aware of you know just seeing enough patients come in over the couple of you know two to three years before I acquired Lyme in my in my practice. I've been in practice for about 12 or 13 years now. Mm-hmm. Um, so, The, um, but that being said, uh, only about, I would say, even just in the circles, you know, um, like I belong to a collection of doctors. Um, all of the from all over the world um, that belong to an organization called ILADs um, that has a different treatment philosophy and a set of guidelines than the CDC in this in regards to Lyme and not so much in being at adversity with the CDC but just a different way of going about it based on what's been observed in the office um, you know in the doctor's office um, and so basically, um, you know, even I would say that a majority of doctors will agree that we only see, you know, the EM rash or the the bullseye rash showing up about maybe 30 or 40% of the time that there's a tick bite. And it's so individualized and, and has so many factors involved in that with how the person's immune system is going to respond to a tick bite. Um, that it, you know, it's very variable. And also the bullseye rashes can look very different. They don't have to be these big circles with the white in the center. It could be something just like a slight um, irritation and redness, very, you know, very small circle just right around the lesion that might, without a tick there, would look like a, a spider bite or a mosquito bite. But they tend to last a little bit longer and persist. Then, then you would see a mosquito bite persisting. And then of course, if you start to see symptoms along the lines of like headaches and joint pain and, um, you know, neck pain, fever, flu, neurological symptoms that start to creep up, um, then, you know, you got to start questioning if the bite actually was a a tick, even if you didn't see one. as I said, a majority of my patients, um, they end up being chronic uh, Lyme disease patients because they didn't even have the tick bite to begin with. It's sort of a gift to get the, you know, if you're going to get bit by a tick, it's sort of a gift to be given a bullseye rash because then you get alerted to go get care immediately um, or address it and you get more attention, um, you know, right away instead of not even knowing and then having months or, you know, weeks or months go by and having no idea that, you know, you've been infected and you might just think you got the flu.
0: Right. And. I want to briefly just go through what acute maybe what to do in acute Lyme exposure and then definitely get into the chronic because I think many more people fall into the chronic issue because they don't get the treatment that they need right off the bat. So let's say you find a tick on your body, and they can certainly vary in size, and I'll let you go into that, but um Let's say you find a tick on your body. Can we talk about maybe the misconceptions of number one, what to do, and number two, what not to do?
1: Yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, let's see. The, the first inclination is going to be to like rip it out and and pitch it and get, you know, like throw it down the toilet, um, step on it, burn it, you know, do all sorts of stuff. Because right. you panicked, you just got this thing that's alive, that's hanging out of your skin, and most people have a panic response and just want it out and aren't thinking clearly. Um, so the proper way to remove a tick if it's found is obviously, first of all, stay calm. Um, and because the calmer you are and the more efficient you are at pulling the tick out, the, the less likely you are to transmit infection. I mean, chances are, um, that's already, if it's going to happen, it probably already has happened. But, um, so what happens when a tick bites is that it basically enters into the skin, sort of pulls the skin open and injects a mouthpiece, um, into the skin, almost like a needle to try to find a lead into your blood supply. Cause it's, it basically, it feeds off of blood. And as it does that, it'll take in some blood into its stomach and into its guts. And then it will basically it, it over time, it might kind of almost like a, it's, it's going to get gross, but it, it basically, it's a backwash effect yeah. that goes back into our bloodstream. And um, so if ticks have fed off of, usually ticks have fed off of other animals. So mice, um, you know, obviously bigger animals like deer, um, squirrels, um, raccoons, cats, you know, any, basically anything, um, you okay. know, they, if they've, if they can, ticks live about two to three years. And so over that period of time, they, they feed maybe two or three times a year. Um, you know, sometimes only once a year, they can go a long time without eating. Um, but they will feed off of something else. And then those microbes that have been picked up from other animals that are really not causing any illness within the animal, the other animals are, you know, path like, you know, are a are, are pathology for us. They create illness in, in humans. So it sits in the stomach of the tick. So you can imagine that with this backwash effect, I can't find a better way to state that, except for that, <laughs> um, but I think it, it gets the point across, um, goes right into our bloodstream. And it could be not just Lyme, there's multiple strains of Lyme. So, um, you know, there's 50 known in the United States, that, to my knowledge, there might be, have been more that have been discovered since then, um, and over 300 worldwide. Um, and so plus also the co-infections, babesia, ehrlichiosis, anaplasmosis, um, Bartonella, uh, you know, there's, there's Q fever, um, Rocky Mountain Spotted Fever. Mm-hmm. Uh, the list goes on. And, and we don't even know. Um, because there's so much argument and so much kind of denial of, of Lyme and kind of shoving it under the rug that, uh, you know, th- more research could be done to really understand this in more depth, but the, the, the funding and the support really isn't there on a larger federal level. So, um, and anyway, I don't mean this to be confrontational against the medical establishment. It's just really the honest, the honest truth of what's going on. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so Anyway, that being said, if a bite happens, um, it's important to stay calm. Uh, I would, I would definitely, you want to get a pair of tweezers. Uh, a lot of times, sometimes tweezers will have like a little, um, uh, um, magnifying glass on them. Uh, or there's little cups that are like tick scoops that have kind of a slice in it where you would slide it up underneath the tick and then be able to pull that out. And the tick would go into this, this little bowl. That's sort of like a little, like a little spoon, like a measuring spoon and, so, but you, what you want to do is a lot of times people, when they have the tick they they get really, especially if you're pulling it out of another person um, and helping them out and it's like your child and you don't want to cause harm, you're nervous about hurting them or you're, you're skeeved out. Um, there's this, you know, kind of this pulling, but not really pulling kind of like, you know, you know, <laughs> not really. Uh-oh. yanking at it so you got to figure the more you stress the tick out and kind of pull at it and physically manipulate it the more you're risking infection being transmitted because if it's backwashing just on its own and you're squeezing it and stressing it out you can imagine that more is getting put into your bloodstream if it's still attached um other time you know other things that have been done you know old wives tales and old remedies of like garlic on them and um, kerosene and burning them and you know all this stuff because you think that they're just going to calmly like back out and (laughs) come out of the skin if you do that to them um, really you're just stressing the tick out even more and and you know they don't come out that easily it's not once they get in there it takes a bit of a process for a tick to naturally be released from the skin you know they're they're pretty anchored in Um, if anybody's pulled out a tick ever you can tell how anchored in they are um, you know when you're trying to pull them out so uh, also, late, the latest thing that's come across the internet um, that people have come in with and asked a lot about are essential oils, and because there was a video that was going around on YouTube about you know just using essential oils locally on the tick, and then the tick would just pull itself out and everything would be fine, and you know the tick would move on. And I, and essential oils are very caustic; they're very volatile. Um, you know they, they're they're beautiful medicine, and they work in so many other ways for you know healing. Uh, you know that you know obviously we don't need to go into here, but we know we know that. Um, but putting it on top of the tick, I mean, if you were to put an essential oil in the, you know, in a straight up, um, you know, essential oil into your, like, let's say into your, your nose or into your eye, you know, it would be, it would burn. It would be very uncomfortable. So you can only imagine putting it on the tick that it's going to stress them out as well. So that's not really effective way of, of removing a tick. So in my, you know, in my professional opinion. So the best way to do it is to either take a tick scoop or a tweezer and get close down to the skin and you're just gonna be really assertive. You know, it's just, it's you're gonna get a good grip on it and just be real quick with it and pull. Now there may be mouth parts left in the skin or, or you know, body part of the tick, if you can reach if get yeah, ahead. Yeah. If you can retrieve the rest of that out, um, great, but don't do it at the price of like ripping the skin apart and hurting yourself. The skin usually will naturally pull or kind of eventually bring that up to the surface and it'll get pushed out. Um, I know it's gross thinking about leaving it in there. I can imagine, you know, most people would not <laughs> like the idea of that. And, and also you can go into a doctor's office and get further assistance with getting it removed and even having the tick removed in general, if you don't feel up to doing that, um, getting into a doctor to have that removed. Now, once it's removed, um, sending it out for testing. So, uh, their, uh, tickreport.com is one of the, the organizations, um, uh, affiliated with, um, uh, University of Massachusetts Amherst, um, it, it basically, you, you send it off and they, if you, you don't have to do anything to the tick, don't put it in alcohol. Cause if you put it in alcohol, you'll just, and then think that you're doing like preserving it in order to send it off somewhere, you're going to kill all of the bacteria. And so that's going to make it useless. It'll denature all of the bacteria so they can't see what's inside the tick. Um, That can be really a life-saving test that can be done because once you're bit, it can take several weeks for antibodies or for symptoms to show up. But if you can go and send the tick out and, you know, within three to five days, business days, if, if what was inside the bug, that can tell you a lot about what you just got exposed to and get you medication right away.
0: Does that change the medication based on potentially uh, what the ba- what bacteria they're carrying, um, or the different strands of the Lyme disease? So
1: for Lyme, um, I'd say the, the acute treatment is typically doxycycline or minocycline in the adult population, and um, and then in the in the pediatric population, it's usually amoxicillin or mm-hmm. Um and so that's, those are typical meds that would be used right away. Um, if there, I would say that medication would change if Bartonella was found in the body uh, or Babesia. Um, those do, would do better with other types of antibiotics and it would be really beneficial to know if the tick that was, and the tick that was carrying those infections um, to address them as soon as possible too, because it gets more complicated and much more difficult for patients um, when there's multiple infections involved at one time.
0: And with an acute exposure, um, would you also do any sort of natural remedies in an acute exposure to support the system while they're undergoing antibiotic therapy?
1: So, absolutely. Um, so, uh, typically what's given with the antibiotic um, is a probiotic. So, we want a high potency probiotic. So, we're talking about one that's going to have like 150, uh, typically 100, like 120 billion per capsule um you know or upwards if you whatever product you're using but you want to get about 100 to 200 maybe upwards of 300 or 400 depending on your digestion uh, and how sensitive you are to you know yeast overgrowth and things like that um, you would want to do that while on the antibiotic um, also homeopathics work really well uh, and and are helpful after an acute exposure um, leadum is one of the the main ones that gets that gets uh, acknowledged quite a bit um, as being used right away for a, a tick bite um, so the, and then also you can go really in, you know, with herbals, um, take really high doses of, of herbal medications, um, as a natural antimicrobial as well. And, you know, put yourself sort of on a protocol using both in order to try to treat it. Most people though, with the brand new tick bite, just choose to do, keep it as simple as possible because it's brand new. They might not be as symptomatic and just, you know, and, and, Honestly, once it, after a tick bites, it does take time for the infections to get acclimated into the body. They're very vulnerable, so you can clear the infection quite easily if it's caught soon enough or addressed soon enough. So we can't help the fact that tick bites happen where people don't know about it, and you know, and and there's just no way to avoid that. That's just going to happen. Um, and But it, what's really frustrating to me as a practitioner is when it's pretty clear, you know, when a tick bite comes in, if somebody was to step on like a dirty needle in the middle of a park or on the beach, you know, they would be on, I've, I've had patients that have had that happen and they're on several months, just basically on, just basically barely touching a needle. They're on an antiviral, an antibiotic. They're being micromanaged like crazy and tested for every disease under the sun, which, you know, is valid. But now you have something in nature that's a dirty needle and inhibitors. And and we know carries diseases, we know a majority of them do, and to just tell someone to wait and see if something comes up and wait several weeks, it doesn't make sense to me when people usually will recover from being on the treatment, even if they don't choose to do antibiotics at least doing some sort of antimicrobial treatment internally to treat the infection to avoid, um, you know, uh, uh, much more suffering later, um, in many different ways. So, um, it's really frustrating to me when I have patients who are turned away, especially who are, um, you know, walk in with a positive test from the tick itself that they were just bit by. And, and because they're not manifesting symptoms, they're turned away quite often, um, uh, from treatment and told to come back if something happens. And I just, I don't, that, I, that's just not how I choose to practice. It's just, uh-huh. uh, um, but it's, it is an issue. Um, and and it's a big problem uh, you know and, and I think most states have you know that that issue that that have and, and even a lot of times actually the ones that are most vulnerable the, the states that they don't think ticks are actually there you know <laughs> like, really they're not, they're not here we don't have problems with that because it's even in Oregon where I'm from it's like people are getting bit more and more um, things because of environmental change because of temperature change um, the winters aren't as intense um, and ticks can really survive some stuff like they you know, they can, they can get nested underneath the snow here in New Hampshire and in an, an Arctic blast like we had last year and when it was 20 below zero. <laughs> and, and I thought that's thought for sure. It would be like, we would have the lightest spring ever after that. And it was like actually probably one of the worst springs I've ever seen with ticks. So they can really survive. <laughs> They're survivors. Um, and, but a lot of times also now, you know, animals are migrating and carrying them, um, birds, um, and, and so there's a, there's a lot of different factors it, and it, it will continue. It is starting to be seen more and more in other states. And it is actually, a lot of people don't think of it in the Midwest, but it's quite high in Ohio
0: and Michigan and Minnesota. Oh yeah. And are there any other ways to transfer Lyme other than with ticks? So there are, um, there is, the research does show some, uh,
1: you know, merit in the idea that it is sexually transmitted. Yeah. Or that it can be. I don't think that that's, in my personal opinion, I don't think that's like 100%. Like that's everyone, because the reason why that conversation even started is because Lyme spirochetes, um, you know, are anatomically and a lot like uh, syphilis, which is an STD, a sexually transmitted disease. And and even the stages of the disease process you know having a pri like an acute primary stage, and then eventually the longer it stays in the body it can create neurological symptoms just like syphilis does but the um uh it, it basically um the research did uh, some of the research protocols or uh, the research publications that are out there they're small samples um so they took maybe you know ten to fifteen couples but we they did find similar strains in the couples, and one could argue that that um that maybe they were just living on the same property and got bit by the same ticks. But I think there was enough information there. Um, and they also do find it's more difficult in partnerships. Um, sometimes that, you know, if if they're not using protection during the treatment time, that there can be this passing back and forth, or it can be harder for couples to get better. Like it, it, it's a prolonged treatment. You know, a lot of doctors have just noticed that there's a prolonged treatment time. Um, if patients continue to like, you know, uh, patients in a marriage per se, that wouldn't be using protection, um, you know, or otherwise married or not, but that, that they tend to have a more difficult time in a prolonged um, illness. Um, and it, that it's actually been shortened by you, you know them using a barrier method um, for a period of time during treatment in order to avoid that transmission back and forth. Um, so that that is something that that's a way. Um, I know that there's been some um, speculation. It has been cultured in breast milk, and normally lime would not be something that would be ingested and contracted that way. Um, it doesn't really live in the atmosphere that way. It wouldn't make it through your stomach acid. But if you've got an infant with a pretty naked, very new, very um, you know. Um, you know, their digestive tract is, especially then, like just literally newborn, um, is so immature that it 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 could potentially be passed through breast milk um, to the baby as well, and it also can be passed in utero. Um, so that's also another factor there. So a lot of pregnant patients that I treat, um, we end up doing cord blood at the time of birth, uh, testing the cord blood for the infections. That's that's smart.
0: That's incredible. And then what are you seeing? So in, in switching gears to chronic Lyme, how are these patients presenting into your office?
1: So most of them come in and they're, they're scared. Yeah, <laughs> because sure. they, they're scared to sit down with me because um, they think they have to defend themselves uh, and explain everything. And they're so used to having to do that. And also they've come in, they've already been to Most, a majority of my patients, new patients that sit down with me have already been to see at least, you know, 10 doctors. Um, And, and those are specialists in endocrinology, gastroenterology, cardiology, uh, you know, rheumatology, neurology. Uh, And, and so, and they've had to tell their story each time. And maybe that, you know, many times it's met with compassion, but yet not, I, I can't help you, but I'm sorry that you're sick, you know, and I can offer you this for know pain management or symptom management but not um you know not really wanting not not agreeing that Lyme is or tick-borne disease could be the cause of the problem um and and so when they come in they they've you know they're a little overwhelmed they have their big binder and they have all their labs and every place that they've been and they usually come in with a family member who's going to be the the note taker or the one that's going to you know be the one that can explain or talk if they can't talk uh or if they get tired if they get confused um A lot of times at this point, you know, when I see them, they're, they're neurologically compromised. So they have a hard time with concentration and focus or get emotionally overwhelmed. Um, And and eventually over time, they realize that I'm not, I'm going to, I'm going to listen and believe, you know, and they don't need to, they don't need to feel that way here, you know. (laughs) Um, Right but uh, that, that I get it. Uh, but it takes a little bit of time for that to sort of wear off. Uh, but most patients come in, uh, symptom wise that are chronic. Um, you know, you, I always tell patients like, you know, it's tick-borne disease. If you've got issues going on in multiple organ systems, you know, you've got at the same time, you've got cardiologic, you've got cardiovascular things happening, neurological things happening, uh, like numbness, tingling, dizziness, um, You know, loss of function, you know, of a limb, like weakness, um, difficulty walking, um, twitches, tremors, um, cardiovascular issues like hypertension, heart palpitations that just like weren't there and then all of a sudden just showed up. Um, A lot of times you'll hear the story that they were fine and then all of a sudden they remember just like I woke up this one morning and I haven't been right since and nobody can tell me what's wrong because they'd never found a tick on them. Right. So they just kept going to doctors and getting medication for this or that, or this symptom that came up. A lot of times, unfortunately, people come in um, already on some form of a, uh, you know, being given um, some form of an antidepressant or an anti-anxiety medication because um, they're told that they really, their, their problem truly is just more of an anxiety issue and psychosomatic, meaning that they just, they're kind of, you know, their, their anxiety or their emotions are creating the symptoms for them merely by stress. <sighs> and and so that that happens quite often too Jeez. um Great yeah man. yeah and and oftentimes i mean they 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 are stressed and they 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 probably do need the anti anxiety medication and the antidepressant but not not in a way that that they're it's being presented you know right <laughs> <Correct>. yeah
0: so, <laughs> so common there it's so common yeah so and then they're also presenting i think some of the the very random symptoms of Line that or chronic Lyme that I think are interesting um, are right ringing in the ears, eye floaters, yep. correct yep. things that you wouldn't think about that would be associated with a chronic disease. Um, insomnia am I correct
1: insomnia yeah yeah so frequent waking through the night um, you know exhausted or getting a full night's sleep and waking up and feeling like you hadn't um, a lot of times like in, in, people have really horrible nightmares as well that come along with it that are not typical um, of course the joint pain um, and and the joint pain typically is gonna move around um, if you know, I can usually distinguish like something like that would be just a typical arthritis like an arthritic knee um, just because it's overused or there was some sort of injury Um, you know it's is that okay is it the same knee every time and is it when you do the same thing every time Um, that to me is more of an osteoarthritis Um, you know versus live is going to be like it shows up randomly and then it'll be like one knee and then it'll move to a hip and then it'll move to your ankle and then (laughs) or it'll be multiple joints at one time and then it's unpredictable so another thing is people will another frequent comment is that I feel older than my grandmother um, you know, they're walking slower, um, you know, a hard time with sensory input, so concentration. Um, a lot of times kids uh, who are diagnosed with ADHD or, um, you know, even even slightly on the, you know, uh, and again, it, this is trending more into something that's more controversial, but, you know, uh, more of the autistic behaviors as well um, may become more severe, even though they may be slightly on the spectrum. If they can track Lyme, it can make that even more difficult for them. Um, but most of the time it's going to be kids that have, you know, intense fatigue um, and mental, emotional um, issues and inability to concentrate. and They're going to have a hard time in school. Um Kids, kids present usually knees, bellies and heads. So, um, you know, they're going to, and these are younger kids, like under the age of 10, or, or you know, even like five and under, and they'll complain, um, you know, they'll kind of say, I have, my leg hurts, and then they'll, you know, maybe they sit down for a little bit, and then they'll be up running around again. And so parents can easily sort of miss that and, and, you know, or just think, oh, they're just trying to, you know, a lot of times it's like I, the parents feel guilty after they find out that it is Lyme when they finally like hear it to so many times and then they bring their kid in to be tested. But they're like, oh, they've been saying this for so long, but I just thought it was because they didn't want to go to bed and they were trying to get out of like this or they,
0: you know, I I think it could be very confusing as a parent.
1: And I always tell, I always tell parents that, you know, kids like, especially five and under, like they're just going to tell it like it is. And if their leg hurts, their leg hurts even more like an adult or a, an, an adolescent is going to be more thinking in terms of like, all right, maybe I can milk this, you know, like, you're, like you know, we've all done right. it. We've all like had our moment where we probably exaggerated something because we didn't want to do something or kind of made something worse. I know I have when I was younger, but the, um, but the, uh, you know, with kids, they're just so raw and so honest that if a three-year-old is like, my head hurts and my stomach hurts and they're saying it not just once, but you know, over a period of time. And especially if you have found a tick on your child, but then didn't think, you know, a lot of times here too, there's sort of an apathy because it's been, ticks have been here for so long in this area. And it's like, oh, we used to pull ticks off ourselves. You know, somebody in their fifties or sixties, we used to pull ticks off all the time. It was no big deal, but the diseases have spread and the ticks much, it's much more pre- prevalent and they're changing. And, you know, um and so the, they're more present, but there's sort of an apathy that, well, I pulled the tick, I didn't see a ring. And so I think they're fine. And so then time goes by and they don't go to the doctor, they don't take action because they didn't see anything happen. And then now their child is starting to complain more frequently, but it's probably been a couple months since the tick bite. And maybe that's not even remembered or even thought of as being connected. Um, so from a pediatric perspective, that's that's very common.
0: And with the chronicle, I oh, excuse me, Mm -hmm. With the chronic Lyme, how is the treatment different? So the, the treatment in, in my
1: clinic, um, you know, uh, it's, it's sort of like I present to patients, I have a menu, you know, I have a menu of things sure. that I do. Uh, and so I've got, you know, I, of course, antibiotics we've discussed. Um, and I'd say a, a big, a large portion of my patients are on them. Uh, it is controversial, the treatment of, of using antibiotics. Um, it's always a patient's choice. Um, and, and it's always done, you know, if the patient is showing signs that, Antibiotics are not appropriate for them, or causing you know, the side effects from them are causing problems. They're they're taken off, um, but there's also with chronic Lyme, um, you know, if, even with herbal. So I also treat with herbal medications. Um, so that's part of my naturopathic doctorate. Is is um, you know. Uh, ch- uh, Studying herbology, um, homeopathy. Um, you know, we're going to do stuff that's going to support the liver, the GI detox pathways. Um, the adrenals are a big one because the adrenal glands help support us on a daily basis to deal, deal with stress internally and externally in the world. So internal stress, like with illness, and external stress, if you're trying to work while you're ill, <laughs> and you've got, you know, you have a job that's really um, or a household that's very loud and busy and a lot of stuff going on, and or things just going on in your life in general, and the adrenals also help with sleep cycle. So you had mentioned Lyme patients having a difficult time with sleep, um, and a lot of times that's because their adrenals are fatigued or um, out of whack. So we support those those aspects of the person's healing um, using also herbal antibiotics. Um, a lot of patients choose just to do um, a natural medicine approach and not do antibiotics, which is fine, which is you know, and for and it works. I've seen it work beautifully. Um, the one thing with Lyme, uh, depending on whatever the patient choice choice is, is that it takes time. So I think the mis- the biggest misconception and the hardest part for tick-borne disease patients is that somehow it's supposed to be done quick. Um, most of our illnesses that we deal with, you know, that we've had antibiotics for, or, or things that we have have a, you know, uh, that were tr- like infections that we're treated for. Typically, we get you know our ten days of antibiotics and it's done. You know, like a respiratory infection, sinus infection, or a UTI. Um, And in this case, it takes a lot longer, but that's the hardest part of treating the disease. So it it can really trip people up and think that it's not working, something's wrong. Um, And it can lead to a lot of like jumping around from doctor to doctor or trying to find the, the, and, and also having people, you know, that they're coming in contact with in their families telling them, you know, well, why aren't you better yet? You know, you should be done with this. Like what's wrong with, what's wrong with this doctor you're seeing? What's wrong with, you know, (laughs) this can't be right. And I would say the average treatment time for a chronic patient in my office is six months to a year and some longer. And then we also have the factor here that, you know, it's not like chickenpox. So, you know, it's not like you get it once and that's it. Um, it, you know, of course nobody gets chickenpox anymore, but the, um, but it's basically, you could just, I could get, you know, somebody who has chronic Lyme, get them back to living and having an amazing quality of life and then get bit again and get reinfected. Um, And then it's not, and many times now that they know where to find me or they have a working relationship with me, we treat them much sooner uh, and, and ideally kind of get over the hump and, and have them not go into a full chronic state like they, they were before. But, You know, that's, that's also the risk factor here too, is that it's not just a one-time only thing. And a lot of times the individuals that are really severely impacted and chronically ill, there've been more than one bite that, you know, if they've lived in this area, in the New England area or in a tick endemic, you know, in in an epidemic area they you know, they'd have to be so lucky just to have only have gotten one tick bite if they've lived there their entire life. Um, So with the amount of ticks that are here, even on the playground at school, soccer field, Um, again, as I mentioned out, just being in your own backyard. So oftentimes it's not just one bite that gets you there (laughs) with the, with the real serious cases. Yeah. Over the years. So
0: are you you seeing a big treatment difference with how you're treating antibiotics versus antibiotics with natural remedies or just natural remedies? Are you seeing a big difference on how quickly people are getting better or um, their quality of life back or, or, um, what's the breakdown between, you know, the two treatments, would you say? It's
1: very individualized. Yeah. It's very individualized. It, It really depends on what, you know, what body it's going into. And some people's bodies are going to take in the natural medications and it's going to work beautifully. And some people are going to have Lyme and they'll get over it in like a month and a half or two months, you know, or a few weeks and that's it. Um, Whereas other individuals have immune systems and genetics and and all sorts of other factors that make it way more difficult. Um, You know, one of the factors too with Lyme, why it takes so long is trying to find the right remedy to to be able to get access to it. Because why, you know, with Lyme in particular, not just, the not know, you you know, leaving out the co-infections, but talking about Lyme, um, they're, they're spirochetes, they're shaped like spirals, and Uh they drill, they drill through tissue, and they can go into body cavities that normally infections would not go into, and so they trigger a whole lot of, you know, different immune responses the body's not used to, uh, and not used to having to deal with. Most infections stay pretty localized, or, you know, they're not, you know, like a localized area on the skin or again in the sinuses or, um, you know, urinary tract infection, respiratory infections, um, even belly infections, you know, stomach aches and <clears throat> getting like food poisoning or something like that. They stay pretty localized and this one migrates and can move through just about anything and it can outrun our own immune cells. So, it's really the, the trick uh, and the, you know, the work with being a, a Lyme practitioner is trying to find the right protocol for the patient. And number one, if they're coming in not wanting antibiotics at all because of fear, because there's a lot of fear about using antibiotics and it's it's justified if they're not used appropriately or for the right reasons or not, you know, or not right for that person's body, they can do harm. You know, anything can do harm if it's not being used correctly. But I've also seen it work miracles for people, <laughs> um, time and time again. Um, but if they don't, you know, if someone's coming in and they're not, and they're afraid of using the antibiotics, then that is in, in a sense. I mean, not only, I, I don't pressure anybody to do anything, but you know, if there's a belief there that, and a fear around it, uh, you know, it, it just won't work anyway. I, I really truly believe that we can, we have the power to sort of reject, (laughs) you know, make an internal choice. Yeah. Mm -hmm. So it, it is sort of feeling out what that person's, you know, like, okay, here's what I do. Um, you know, I also do energetic therapies here, Reiki, um, you know, um, you know, hands on healing um, and um, also other things as far as like IV therapy. Um, uh, I'm going to be starting to do stem cell therapy here, too. So there's other things available here and also um, other things popping up all over the country and all over the world for other options for treatment um, that uh, people can have access to now. Um But the, you know, I would say the main thing is really finding the right combination for the person. So that's kind of a difficult question to answer as far as like a a straight um, black and white. But I would say majority of my patients that I see choose for themselves to have antibiotics and natural medicine in combination. And then we just take it as it goes. And so I usually have, I see people on a, you know, cyclical basis and I check in and if I'm seeing change happen, Like if I'm seeing changes happening in their symptoms, even if that's a little bit of a worsening of their symptoms, which is common with treating Lyme, it's referred to as a Herxheimer response, Mm -hmm. um, that, you know, that to me is I gave you the med and now the symptoms you had before I even treated you got worse. Okay. So we're seeing something shift. And as long as they're mentally, emotionally, and physically handling it, okay. And they feel like it's, it's okay. It's safe. They don't feel too overwhelmed, um, and, and I don't feel the effects are, you know, um, are, are harmful, then we keep going with the treatment until those symptoms clear out and things start to normalize. And that can happen. That response can happen whether you choose natural medication. I've seen people Herx or have a Herxheimer reaction very intense from just using herbal remedies. Um, sure being that sensitive. So it really, it just depends on the body it lands. And I guess is my really long answer to that question.
0: (laughs) I just just want to clear something up when you say IV therapy. Um, can you just, can you expound on that? I'm assuming you're talking about vitamin C therapy or something of that nature, but I just, yeah, sure.
1: Yeah, so uh, natural medicine, IVs. Um, so I, I trained in that quite a bit in medical school and I've been doing that in my practice since I opened it. Um, but yeah, a, a lot of people look at, to, to get high dose vitamin C um, or vitamin, um, vitamin combinations, antiviral, it's usually referred to as a myers light cocktail. Mm-hmm. Um uh, we do pushes, um, so vitamin pushes or larger bag drips. Um, and then also things like phosphatidylcholine and you know, amino acids. Um awesome. so basically, yeah. And then but also a lot of people I also treat with IV antibiotics as well. So they'll have a and they don't receive that here in my office. That's usually something where they work with a company and they actually are able to administer and this at home by using a pick line or a port. And sometimes, depending on the extensive um, neurological issues that they have going on, and again, their personal choice, um, you know, I do have quite a few patients that choose that option as well. And that was actually an option for myself um, that worked quite well when I, when I needed it.
0: And I mean, I really think you know, doing either liposomal or um, IV pushes of some yeah. is is really important in chronic disease because a lot of those folks have gut issues and they cannot absorb or assimil- assimilate all those supplements. I mean,
1: exactly. That's exactly. my opinion yeah and glutathione is used here quite a bit. and And so glutathione is something that um is something the liver produces that is an antioxidant and also a detoxifier. um and And getting that into the body makes a huge difference. Um and there are I was always taught for many years I, I kind of held on to that edict that it was only supposed to be through the i v that you would give glutathione. but the formulations have come out now that are that are really. Yeah, really well assimilated to be able to take, um, this orally in liposomal mm-hmm. form, um, yes. meaning that it's attached to fats and things that make it so that it can cross through the digestive lining much easier. Um, but yeah, digestion and making sure the digestive tract is healthy is huge. Um, yeah. And if that's not working, if we have leaky gut or we have a big, another big thing is food sensitivities, um, mm-hmm. patients with Lyme will, um, you know, where they didn't have them before will start to develop, you know, gluten intolerance or even red meat. Um, there are certain strains of Borrelia that create a red meat um, allergy, um, like pretty severe allergy. So, um, those are the things that come up. Yeah.
0: And one other thing I'd really like to touch on, um, you speak of uh, doing Reiki or energy work in your practice. Um, mm-hmm. and, it, and I mean, you know, in seeing chronic patients or chronic disease, these people are so beaten down. They're so tired. They've been through so much, like they've had to put up, you know, they've had to justify themselves over and over again. And I just think they're in a really fragile state. So, um, you mentioned that you really work with trauma. It sounded like you worked with trauma a lot from the Lyme. Is that what, is that, are you addressing that through homeopathics and through Reiki primarily?
1: Well, most of it is also just, I mean, uh, I would say a small part of my visit is fitting all of the, the criteria and all the things I need to get as far as, okay, you know, how are your bowels moving, how are your symptoms? And I can get through that in a pretty efficient amount of time. Most of the time I spend with a patient in the office is counseling, um, and, and helping them, um you know, have a place where they can sit and, and cry, I go through Kleenex boxes like crazy. in here, <laughs> um, mm-hmm. And because it's just a space that people can feel safe to just let it, re, like, just let it go. Um, but I do always ask about, I typically ask about trauma history. Um, and I have that on my forums and people come in because I do see a correlation that if somebody does have a pretty significant, and especially, um, you know, if they haven't, if they haven't worked on it, um, you know, if they haven't worked on it up until now, when they get sick with the disease, that is, you know, something where it's, there's a stigma in the, in the larger community, the medical community, socially, um, they're not feeling helped. Um, they, if they were victimized in any other way earlier on in life, um, then it's like it reactivates that PTSD, that post traumatic stress of being victimized all over again, and so they have a, a very big, you know, anxiety response because they've got those old programs from being harmed, um, you know, whenever that happened for them and now they're sick again and, and trying to get help, um, trying to be heard, trying to be understood, um, and, and also feeling scared that this infection is not ever going to leave, <laughs> that they're going to, you know, they go on, vid- on and they see on videos on on the internet and they get freaked out that this is, you know, that, that this is detrimental and, and it's not to make light of it. <clears throat> it definitely, can be very harmful if it's not treated but the uh there's just a lot of fear that comes up and if there is a background where that where those issues coming from other situations were not addressed or help you know treated they didn't have any you know haven't sought out counseling or if even if they did and it just wasn't all the way done or if they're in a current traumatic situation they're in an abusive relationship they're in something that's you know creating current trauma in the in the moment um You know, those are real big obstacles to healing. And so a lot of it is, you know, obviously I also you know, very much encourage people to get a a professional counselor involved, um, that they can work with, uh, and, and process this with as well. Um, for me, the energy healing piece, I've been, uh, intuitive, um, in, in one way or another, most of my life. And, and it didn't really come fully into manifestation for me or something that I was comfortable with until I was in my thirties or (laughs) forties. And as it did, I've taken different trainings and different modalities, um, and, and so people do come and see me for that as well. And, and that is to, to me, for me, that's just helping people be more in tune with who they are and helping them reconnect with themselves, whatever their belief system is, whatever, you know, spiritual or not, um, you know, and, and helping them to, you know, process trauma through their bodies. Our bodies hold that. Uh, and, 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 and it gets stuck. And so memories can come up, you know, individually, like with chiropractic care or massage, people will have memories that come up with getting a body adjustment or having a muscle worked on because, you know, it's not just our mind that's holding the memory. And if our bodies are holding that memory, then it's going to impact our immune system. And it's going to, you know, make the, make the, make it more difficult to recover from the infection. So um, if somebody's open to to working on that, uh, sometimes that feels like too much to deal with when you're dealing with illness and everything else. So it's just something I have available here um, and and leave open to people to have access to uh, if that feels like it's the right time and, and if that's a the direction they want to go. Um, I just see it as more like a personal power, enhancing their own personal power and and feeling more in tune with that and feeling more like, you know, empowered, I guess is is the best word to use there.
0: I love that. And I I completely agree. I mean, I always say the issues are in the tissues. I I just Mm -hmm. very much believe that, that, you know, especially when you lay hands or on somebody or they feel safe, it all comes rushing out. And then they tell you you're the first person they've told that to or whatnot. So it's it's pretty powerful medicine to just even put your hands on somebody. It, It really does open a floodgate and there's definitely issues with that in chronic disease. Um, Of unaddressed trauma. Yep, absolutely. Very very powerful work.
1: And and as you mentioned too, I do use homeopathy and flower essences, um, or you know other modalities to kind of help that process through and help ease um, you know the anxiety. And sometimes people also just need an anti anxiety medication or antidepressant, depending on how intense. um, Especially if it's like a war trauma and people are having serious PTSD. PTSD flashbacks that are really, you know, inhibiting their ability to function and go to work or, you know, um, live in a healthy way. You know, I think it depends on the severity of the situation, what's required in order to help someone
0: find their ground again, you know, exactly. So I guess the big, um, you know, the final question is how do you prevent, um, getting Lyme disease? What would be some tips on preventing that?
1: So uh yeah the so prevention um uh, so again sometimes you know the reality is um that sometimes even with all everything lined up and doing all the perfect and right things, um, you know, ticks can be as small as a speck of dirt. Nymphs, which is the teenage version of a tick are very, very tiny. And despite doing all of your best efforts, you know, there still might be transmission. So you still got to be on top of and really advocate for yourself. If symptoms start to come up, even if you don't see a tick on you. Um, I oftentimes say that like acute Lyme disease is on the tick as far as like the responsibility is on the tick for, you know, Feeding off of us. Chronic Lyme disease is more of a man made issue um, because if we catch it early enough, or acknowledge it, or even consider it as a primary concern in and in like what we would call, what doctors call a differential diagnosis. Like if we look at all the possible diagnoses, if someone comes in with symptoms, living in an area, especially with an epidemic, this should be the first thing on the docket. Cause it's like the easiest thing to treat before you're talking about putting someone on long-term medication for pain, you know, like or prednisone or some sort of a, you know, medications for different rheumatoid conditions or anti-inflammatories. But for self-protection, um uh typically uh what i tell patients to do there are companies um or you can get a hold of your own um uh, but permethrin and i know that that is um for a lot of individuals um you know kind of a concern because of the toxicity around it but <clears throat> typically um it's only meant to be used to treat clothing it's not meant to be put on the body uh, like as far as like in a liquid form or anything that would absorb, and it's going to be put on and dried onto clothes. There are companies that you can send the clothes out to. Uh, Insect Shield is one of them, and they will treat it with permethrin, and um, you can get about ninety washes out of it. And this can be like, you know, really life altering, especially for patients of mine that have worked in like nature reserves. You know, they're just covered in like yes. six, eighty ticks a day, and all of a sudden they treat their clothes with this, and there's nothing. Um, it also works with black flies and mosquitoes as well. Um, now. Typically, what I tell people is to, you know, wear that clothing because where where I live, this is such an issue that, um, you know, uh, it's I just, you know, as much as my purest environmentalist, my Oregonian in me wants to like live, yeah, have no chemicals, and you know, it, it, you got you got to look at the, you know, the. the the, the risk to benefit. Um, so then I usually tell patients to put the natural, uh, so things that are, you know, oil based, uh, geranium, uh, eucalyptus, lavender, peppermint. Um, there is also, uh, you know, like if you make your own, um, formulation or you buy one that's more natural based, um, and herbal or, uh, really the essential oils because ticks get detracted from us because of our, because of the smells and they really don't like the smells of, of those really potent, um, essential oils, um, <clears throat> that detracts them. So they'll be less likely to feed on you, but they need to be applied over, you know, you can't just put on it on once and then go out for the whole day. You, you probably, you want to reapply because those oils do lose their, uh, you know, their sen- sense of, sm- they lose their potency with the smell. They, they just evaporate off. So you do need to reapply. There is also a, um, a substance, um, by Sawyer and it can be found on Amazon, uh, quite easily. And it's, it's got a active ingredient in it that's derived from black pepper called Picardin. And you want at least 20% concentration of that. Um, and if you find, you can go online and Google, um, uh, I get—I don't know what they would put on the title, but Consumer Reports did a <clears throat> a test with multiple um, tick repellents and found that this one was the most effective. So they took what they did—they is they took volunteers or researchers and they sprayed like an arm with DEET and with a lot of the natural products, different ones that are on the market, and then with the particular one I just spoke of, the Picardin. Um, the black pepper derivative, and they had them put their hand in a box <laughs> with the with mosquitoes and with ticks, and basically Sounds terrible. I know, terrible. but they oh, they, they yeah, <laughs> but they judge the effectiveness of it of how far the the bug would stay away from you, um, and they found that the bug stayed the furthest away from this one, so Fantastic. it's the winner, yeah. Wow. Uh, so that one, and it's you know being from black pepper, and it's got a citrus in it. It's probably the most effective and closest to the natural, a natural treatment that you could use. Um, and then other people find creative things to do. They'll put, um, you know, like uh, dog collars, like flea, 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 like flea repellent collars on like their ankles when they're out, out and about, um, and, um, but you, uh, other people like typically you tuck your pants into your socks, you wear really light clothes so that you can see them, pull your hair up, you know, put it up in a hat. Um, but I would really also just have your clothes that you're going to use outside and be out and about doing stuff in that, you know, you're going to be exposed, come in right away. I definitely would like, like, take the clothes off, maybe jump in a shower real quick, um, and, you know, and rinse off and then do a thorough body check. Um, that's going to be the most effective is kind of head to toe, having help from your family, you know, <laughs> um, right. to, to, to check the areas you can't find or see. Um, and, uh, and, of course, parents with their children checking them from head to toe. Um,
0: and check your pets, right? Because and your pets. You can bring them into the bedroom and they can get you Oh, yes. Right. That's how I got
1: it. That's how I got it from my cats. I I lived in the city, and then when I moved to the country, I was like, "Go be free, go outside," and they they <laughs> ticks, and of course they go into your bed because they cats go everywhere. Um, and but yeah, that the pets are a big one, especially if people they think if they treat the dog or the cat that they're safe, but really what happens is that sometimes the the, the tick knows not to feed off the dog, you know, and they'll kind of hitch a ride and then come into the house and then fall off, but still be hungry. So you're actually more exposed sometimes with treating your pet because they won't feed off the pet, but you're the next in line. (laughs) You're the next meal. Um, I, I will say that the Seresto collar I've seen be the most effective. Um, patients have said. And I, and I've noticed that even with personal friends and stuff and even witnessing what their dogs were from one season to the next, um, with wearing the ceresto collar, which I think lasts about six to eight months. Is that um, an S or i I've never heard of it. It's an S. Okay. Soresto, And they are, again, I, you know, I always think of Amazon for selling stuff, but I'm oh, sure you perfect. can make that vet, veterinarian clinic too. Um, but those have seemed to be the most effective um, for dogs. I don't, I'm not sure if they make one for cats. I don't know if they do because there's a lot of differences between what cats and dogs can
0: put on the, put on their bodies. So
1: um,
0: yeah. Great. Well, thank you so much for being here. Anything else um, you think is important to add that we didn't cover? No, I think we covered a lot. Really <laughs> I, I probably talked too much. So, <laughs> such an interesting interview. So if somebody wants to find you, um, want to get in touch with you, where do they find you? Uh, well, my website
1: is greenhousemedicine.com. And um, so they can find you there and then they can find my contact information and office phone number there if they want to call and get more information or book an appointment.
0: Fantastic. In the name of your book? My book is called Rising Above Lyme Disease.
1: and um, again, that's um, available on Amazon, also in Kindle.
0: Um, Just waiting for the plug to Amazon there. I know. Yeah, I, I know. I'm like,
1: I have, I, I, me and everybody else in the world has an Amazon problem. I have, I have a swipe to the right problem. by now. Um, but, but, uh, you know, also it's, it is available at Barnes and Noble to honor the bookstore, the, the bookstore. I got to give props to, um, and,
0: uh, you know, so, um, there you go. Yeah. Well, that was so great. And thank you so much for joining us here today. And, um, And if anybody needs to get in touch with you, they will. Thank you again. Thank you. Okay. Bye-bye. Bye.